Well, I lost another argument with the Lord, and um, which forces me to do something right now that I really didn't want to do. And I didn't want to do it because of the potential personal hurt that it has for, I'm sure, some of you who are here. And uh, in your bulletin, you've noticed that we have included an insert that uh, celebrates that this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And that's a very important day that the church is just by in a grow has been growing in recognizing every year where the church, capital C, like around the world, we just come together around the agreement that life is sacred from conception to natural death. This is our this is our heartfelt belief, and um, so we just set aside a day to acknowledge that and you know while that is an important thing to do i think the the issue that it can bring up in a person's life is that it can bring a lot of pain because of their past and perhaps because of some decisions that an individual or individuals made in the past and so you know as we just think about this and pray for a minute or two you know i we i just want you to know whether you're a woman or a man who was somehow involved in a decision for an abortion at some time in your life, we don't judge you. We don't judge you. We we can begin to imagine, you know, the kind of personal hell you must have been going through as an individual or maybe even as a family sometimes that would have brought you to that place so i just want you to know that we don't judge you and in so many cases i meet people who if they knew then what they know now now that wouldn't have been their decision but they didn't and when they were nailing jesus to the cross he said father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing As we just take a minute and reflect on that and offer our you know our commitment to this this deeply held conviction that life is sacred from conception to natural death and that only God is in control of the timing of those things that we extend our our mercy you know and grace to anybody who may be living in that regretful horror of being on the other side of an abortion. We love you. And God loves you. You know, in 1963, the Supreme Court made it illegal to offer public prayer or read Scripture in school. In 1973, the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand. In 2015, the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriages. And this is the trifecta of immorality that, you know, if we would just go ahead and legalize public crucifixions, we would be the Roman Empire. 
you get this, right? So, Father, we come to you this morning just in a minute of reflection and crying out to you. Our nation is in peril, Lord, and we cry out to you. And so we call to you, Father, and we repent of our action or our apathies that have contributed to the climate of our culture. We call out to you, Father God, to embolden us to be the men and women of America who represent your heart for the world. And Father, we we come before you and we ask your mercy on anyone here today who is just living on, maybe they haven't found their healing yet and they live in the shame and the accusation of something that happened before. And I pray the Spirit of the Lord to come into this room now and embrace them as your daughters and as your sons and to lift that shame from them knowing that that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross scorning its shame. We pray, Father, that you would embolden us to be just the people who say what is clear about your word. We invite you to come now and minister to us in, by the power of your Holy Spirit in the presence of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to continue this morning, part two of uh, the uh, Experiencing the Power of the Present series and with a message called Streams of Living Water from John chapter 7. What I'd like to do is I'd like to reverse my normal order of things. I typically like to start with the theoretical and then move to the practical so that you can go home with something in your, your hand, but I think it may work better today if... We just start with the practical and then move toward the theoretical. And when I'm talking about uh, experiencing the power of the present, I, I'm saying that God has power for you in any given moment. Any given moment in any given space, the Lord is there, yes? But you have to be there to seize it. And so what happens in our culture increasingly is because of our connectedness to the rest of the world, and our penchant for multitasking, we're trying to do five things at once. Who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, you're here, but you're not here in any given moment. And so because of that, because of that, you are missing the presence, the power, and the move of God in any given space. And so... I think it's really urgent that I bring this message, experiencing the power of the present. And with respect to starting with the practical, um, I want to show you a picture of my breakfast yesterday morning. That's my breakfast. That's my breakfast table. And that's my breakfast. And uh, it's got a bowl of oatmeal with craisins in it because I'm crazy. It's got a hard-boiled egg. It's got a... It's got a half a grapefruit, it's got a big glass of water, and it's got, you can almost see it 
little bowl of my daily supplements. And it's got a half-drink cup of coffee that is probably cup number nine. I'm, I'm not addicted. I just can't live without it, okay? And I, the reason I can tell you what's up there is because that was my breakfast yesterday, and it was the day before, and the day before, and the day before, and the day before, because that's my breakfast every day. You know, you don't look like this by accident. Just saying. And so that's my breakfast. And I want you to notice the conspicuous absence of my phone, of a tablet, and if you could hear that the room would be silent other than the dog walking around. Now, the reason that I do that is because when it's time for me to eat my breakfast, that's all I want to be doing. I want to feel the food. I want to taste the food. I want to smell the food. I want to see the food. I want to actually eat my breakfast. And it turns out that oatmeal with craisins is really good. It really is, isn't it? How come all the old people are looking back at me? Oh, yeah, it's really good, yes. It's good. It's good. (laughs) But the only way you can experience the power of your food is to actually stop doing everything else and eat it, right? Am I making any kind of a point yet? I wasn't reading the CNN news feeds, which I read every day, but not when I'm eating my breakfast because it's time to eat my breakfast. And by doing that, by being fully in the moment, I find out that God can speak to me when I'm not dividing my attention because I have a limited bandwidth about other things. And so there are probably no other list makers in the room, right? I told you we were going to start really practicing. Any other list makers in the room? I'm a serious list maker. That's how I get so much done. But here's what I learned. Within, even really within the past year, the Lord has shown me something that is very helpful, you list makers. Is that when you populate your list, that whatever you're doing at the moment on the list is to be seen as the only thing that you have to do for the day. I know, it takes some practice. But at the top of my list, like many of yours, is prayer. I get up. I put the coffee pot on, and I get my Bible, and I begin to pray. I'm not leaving the house without praying. And so that's what I do. And while I'm praying, even though there may be a list of 17 things waiting for me to do that day, I look at prayer as the only thing that I have to do. There are not 16 more things, but all I have to do all day is pray. Now, I'm like you. I have to be places at certain times, and so I respect those those realities of, of my life as you do yours. But it makes an incredible difference that whatever you're doing, wherever you are on the list, to approach it as though that's the only thing that you have to do for the whole day. It's very liberating, and what it does by bringing your full attention to that space on the list that it liberates you to hear God. And so when I go through the list and I'm down to number 11, which is go to the Jiffy Lube and get the Ford Explorer oil changed, then 
I do not see that while I'm waiting for the guys. I do not see that as an opportunity to do other things. That while I'm waiting for my car, I'm going to answer some emails or whatever, you know. This downtime. No, it's, it's uptime. Because there are two or three guys out there, and there are two or three people in the little waiting area with the really bad coffee. You know what I'm talking about? And that those people are as valuable to God as anybody on the planet and that somehow he has caused our schedules to mesh and our paths to cross. And so, no, the phone doesn't come out. I pay attention to what's going on so that I can connect with the people in the little waiting room or the guys who are changing the oil. Which the only reason they're changing it is because I don't want to do it myself. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But by seeing everything that you do as the only thing that you're doing for the day, you can open up yourself to the power of God in the moment. But if you approach that thing and you're, you're doing one thing while you're doing five other things, you'll miss the voice of the Lord. You'll miss what He's doing in the room. You'll miss the presence of the Lord. And so, you know, when you send me an email and it takes me three weeks to answer you, it's for this simple reason. Talking to you is not the most important thing in my life. You're not on the list. Now, occasionally, the, the pile gets so high, I put you on the list. I mean, I'm sorry you died, but, you know, answering your text is not my ultimate priority. And I don't let people insert themselves into my schedule in that way because I want to do what God wants me to do when God wants me to do it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? And by committing yourself to the one thing, you open yourself up to the God thing. It changes everything. So that's pretty practical. The theoretical is that there's power in the present. There's always power available in the present moment. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, don't dwell in the past. Don't worry about tomorrow. Be fully present in the present because that's where I am. There's power in that, but you can't access it if you're not there. Amazing things can happen when we learn to become fully present with God. Last week we talked about how God can open our eyes to see the stuff that's going on in the room, the swords and stuff that's going on in the room. I mean, that's pretty cool, wasn't it? That's just God at work. And then this week, I want to tell you that if you learn to become fully present with God in the moment, then Jesus says that streams of living water will well up inside of you. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 44, which Tim read for us just a few minutes ago. Thanks, Tim, by the way. Nice job. Good man. And uh, I want to start with some context because we... We need to understand what's going on in this passage in order for it to make its fullest amount of sense. And in John chapter 7, when Jesus is speaking these words about living waters flowing up inside of us, you need to realize that a couple things were happening 
in context, what was happening was that Jesus had recently lost a number of his followers. In the chapter before, people were listening to Jesus and were going like, this is really hard, we don't want to follow you anymore. So many fell away that he looked at his 12 disciples and he said, so are you guys done too? Are you, are you going to go away too? And Peter gave this classic answer. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no other place to go. Yes, following you is hard. But there's no other place to go to get the words of eternal life. And sometimes maybe you're like that and you're saying like, Lord, could you send an easier Messiah? Could you send somebody who doesn't cost so much to follow? I mean, this whole denying yourself and taking up your cross thing. Could you just send someone easier? And the answer from heaven is, this is my only begotten son. There's no one else who has the words of life. There's no one else who has the desire of your heart but Jesus. And so a a lot of people had fallen away. And the Bible says that they were that they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this would have been in September or October of the year because they were celebrating the third of three major feasts that the Israelites celebrated each year. They were called pilgrimage feasts because they, they hopefully could make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these. The first in the year was the Passover feast. The second was the Feast of Pentecost, which happened like midsummer. And it was also called the, the First Fruits, the Feast of First Fruits, because it was a celebration of beginning to enjoy the first stuff off your garden. You know, Dora, when the first tomato comes, and it's like, yeah, it's a celebration time. And so they saw it a good reason to answer God's call to come and rejoice in him. And then the third feast of the year was this Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths. I have to say that very carefully. I once said the Feast of Booths, and... Somebody said, there's a Feast of Booths? Are you serious? And it's Feast of Booths. Uh, and what they did was they came together for an eight-day celebration, and they made these, these shelters, these booths is what they were. They were very simple little structures in which they cooked and lived for throughout the celebration of the festival. They were like, it was like a big camp out, right? It was a big camp out, and it was kind of like a Jewish Woodstock without the debauchery, you know? So... They were all coming together, and that's what's happening in this particular, in this particular time. Um, it was a time of great joy. And, and so Jesus had already preached once. If you read a little bit upstairs from where we are, he had already preached once during the feast, and the answer, the response of the people was simply this, he's demon-possessed. So in terms of Jesus' popularity and like his ministry function, it was not going well. He just lost pretty much everybody, and then except for the twelve, and then he stands up and preaches, and the response is he's demon possessed. And so when we get to our passage here, it begins in verse thirty seven, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice. So this was the last day. This would have been the eighth day of the feast. And it was the greatest day because everybody was there. If you just think about the technology of transportation in the day, you couldn't guarantee that everybody was going to be there on day one because you never knew for sure how long it was going to take to get from where you live to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? So the crowd is building all week long, and the Spirit is building. 
And on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said with a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. There you go. I want you to notice, first of all, that this is a universal call. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, anybody. This isn't for just a select few, that the streams of living water thing living inside of you is for anybody. If anyone is thirsty. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the things of God? Are you thirsty is the big question. I mean, is there something inside of you that says, I just got to have God. I just got to experience God. My life is not complete until I experience God. I am thirsty for God. I'm thirsty for the things of God. And so if you are, then this word is for you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then he said, whoever believes in me. Whoever. This is, this is for whomever of you are ready to, to respond to the call of God in this way. And then notice also that he says that what he wants to do, and this is what made him in such contrast with the other rabbis, is that he wants, he wants to do something on the inside of you. That, that's an inside job, he said. I want to change you from the inside out. He said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Within him. And this is the major difference between religion and relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion wants to conform us from the outside. It says, here's what you need to do to be a good Christian. Boom, 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 boom. And here's the things you can't possibly do and be a good Christian. Boom, 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 boom. And it it tries to force you into a system of behavior that is not even in your heart. Jesus said, you know, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, like the things you eat, the religious things. He said, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we're we're being told here by Jesus is he he wants you to come to him, he wants you to believe, and he wants you to drink of his living water. And when that happens, he will begin to change you from the inside out. That you will find yourself quite naturally obeying the things of the law. Because... It is in your heart to be that way rather than trying to enforce that against your will. Does that make sense? Say yes or I'll start again. Okay, good. So the other thing I think that is so important about this passage is that Jesus talks about the nature of the Holy Spirit. So he he just says this, Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. Verse 39, By this he meant the Spirit. So the streams of living water, that's the Holy Spirit. Streams of Now, if you had a stream running through you, would you feel that? I think so. So that our encounter with God through the power of His Holy Spirit is something we should anticipate feeling. There's a stream of living water flowing through you. By this He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what we have here, is we have Son of Man coming to earth, living a sinless life, doing the things that He did, dying a perfect death, and He's going to die a perfect death, and then He he rises from the dead, and the Bible says for 40 days He walks around and says what's happening, giving, giving convincing proofs that says that He was alive, and then He ascended to the Father. When He ascended to the Father, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, then the Holy Spirit 
was poured out on the church. So what he's saying here is he's giving them an anticipation of what it's going to be like. That this is what it's going to be like for you when I go to heaven, when I die on the cross, and when I go to heaven. The Father will pour out the Spirit on you in such a way that it will be a stream of living water living inside of you. So that's what this, what he's talking about here. And uh, this is the, the message of this, the streams of living water. It's about encountering God through the power of His Holy Spirit. And uh, I think you should notice, if you read the rest of the verses, that reveling in the presence of the Holy Spirit always brings controversy and criticism. Reveling, listen, if, if you're facing criticism because you're reveling in the Spirit, then you're right on schedule. I mean, just keep reading. Just keep reading. It says, so on hearing his words, some people said, oh, surely this man is the prophet. This is good. We're hearing something new and fresh. People are always looking for something new and fresh, like that's going to be the ticket. Others said, he's the Christ. He's the Christ. He's the one we're looking for. Look what happens next. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem and blah, 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 blah. And they go on with this theological argument about how this can't be Jesus, even though they satisfied everything that they were complaining about. When you choose relationship with Jesus over religion, you're going to be criticized. When you choose relationship with Jesus over religion, you're choosing Holy Spirit revolution. And so when you go and you talk to your friends, work, and other family members, and you say, I just love my church because, you know, we never know what God's going to do. Sometimes this happens and sometimes that happens. But the power of the Holy Spirit is there, and we think it's amazing. Then you start, they start saying, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound very controlled to me. You know, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. I'm not confused, are you? I'm, nothing is more clear to me when the Holy Spirit comes then it's time to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I am not confused. I'm not in control, but I'm not confused. Religion wants to control. The Holy Spirit wants to set you free. Don't mix those two things. Don't mix up freedom and being unaware of what God's doing as confusion. You say, I just love that church so much. I just love what God's doing. And you start talking about it. And they'll say crazy things to you like, well, you must be in a cult. I know this is an occult because people don't do what I say. In order, in order for it to be a cult, they have to do what the leader says. And you guys don't. I mean, that's a clear sign right there. Beside the fact that we believe in the authority of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. We believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in every orthodox doctrine of the Christian church. Now, the fact that we get to be the kids who play, that's a bonus. And if people want to criticize you for that, I kind of think that's their problem, don't you? 
Some of you were critics, like me. I was a critic of all this stuff. And secretly, I was very jealous. The Holy Spirit, reveling in the Spirit, will bring controversy into your life. And the reason is that you can't control people when they're controlled by the Spirit. <laughs> I'm glad it's not my goal to control you. I would be failing miserably. So maybe your question is, okay, if I drink of this living water and the Holy Spirit actively dwells in me, what do I, what do, I do with that when it happens? Two things. First of all, enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, you're drinking from the well of life. Dance already, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Let it set you free and celebrate your freedom. And the second thing you should do when you encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, the living water, is give it away as fast as you can. When you encounter somebody who's sick, you stretch out your hand and you say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be healed. And you just start pouring water on the lost. You start pouring water on the homeless. You start pouring water on the downtrodden. You just pour this living water out wherever you can. Because the very cool thing about God is not only can you not outgive God, but the more of this that you give away, and the faster you give it away, the more you get. It's not for keeping. You're not called to be a water carrier. I got my bucket. I'm good for life. Well, I don't want to find Jesus. Find me with my bucket empty when he comes back. So I'm just going to hang on to it. Pour it out. Pour it out. You know, we've had kind of a lot of stiff talk lately about following Jesus as Lord and denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and following Him. And while many, many, many of you are, are excited about that, it just came to me in prayer this week that some of you are, are concerned that Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not good enough to be one of these disciples of Jesus who's all filled with the Holy Spirit and off the hook and all that. You know, maybe maybe your list of sins is too long or your secrets too many or whatever, however you would answer that, but there's a message inside of you that's going, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm good enough to answer this call. So when Jesus started calling his disciples, he started calling fishermen. And the other rabbis would have been like, fishermen. And then he got worse. He started, he called a tax collector. Despised, hated tax collector. And he called Levi, Matthew, same guy the tax collector, and he said, come and follow me. It says immediately he got up and followed him. And what did he do? He threw a party. He was picked. And he threw a party. And who did he invite? Did he invite the Pharisees, the religious people? Did he call his pastor? <laughs> he invited his friends. 
tax collectors, sinners. It was a mess. They were smoking weed by the time Jesus got there. I mean, come on. I was, how can you really characterize this? It was bad. And Jesus went to the party, and the Pharisees were all, they shouldn't be hanging around. Why, if he was a real rabbi? They criticized him because he was going to the people who weren't good enough. And Jesus said, these are the people I came for. Because the healthy don't need a doctor. I'm looking for the people who will recognize that they're sick. So the question isn't, if you're considering this, am I good enough? The question is, are you thirsty enough? Are you thirsty enough to believe? Are you thirsty enough to do what it takes to find the living water? I told you last week, you know, seven years, when I was just seeking this well and seeking, seeking, seeking until I finally got a good drink of it. Are you willing? Are you that? Are you thirsty enough? Are you thirsty enough to get on a plane and go to Nicaragua or Brazil or India or somewhere? Because that may be where your well is. Are you thirsty enough to get in a car and go to Wisconsin? Are you thirsty enough to feed the homeless? Are you thirsty enough to serve in our children's ministry? Because you don't know where your well is. But you've got to ask the question, are you thirsty Are you thirsty enough to do what it takes to drink from the living water? Are you desperate enough to believe? Because Jesus, you know, the only thing he said was, he said the, the, core, the core criteria for drinking from the living water is to believe. He says, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from with. Are you desperate enough to believe? Because I, I need to just tell you, Last thing here, only Jesus has this water. Only Jesus Christ has this water. No man has it. I don't have it for you. I just know where to get it for me. I'm out splash it all over you to get you healed and stuff, but in terms of your own source of living water, streams of living water in you, you've got to come to Jesus for that. There's no man on the earth who can give that to you. There's no prayer that can be prayed over some batch of water and say, now this is special water, boom. That's religion. I teach, for those of you that I've baptized, you heard me teach this. You heard me teach this. That when you go through these waters of baptism here, that one thing is going to happen to you when you come out the other side. You will be wet. I guarantee you, you will be fully wet. But I cannot make this magic water. Nobody can. Jesus is your priest. Jesus is your only mediator between man and God. I can't do any. But when you come, when you come to the waters of baptism with your faith released, because some of you have had major encounters with Jesus in the couple seconds that you were under that water, that wasn't me. That wasn't us. That was Jesus meeting you in your faith in the water. That's Jesus meeting you in your faith 
at the communion table. That's when the transformation occurs, when you bring your faith to Jesus. Lord, we're thirsty this morning. You made us this way. You made us to get thirsty. You made us to dry out. And you made us to demand water. You made us this way in the flesh. And you made us this way in the spirit. That This business of encountering your spirit is not a one-time drink, but you made us to dry out and to drink deeply from you again and again and again. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And Lord, I don't know how to make people do the things that you want done. So I'm just counting on you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak in the hearts of men and women, young people in this room now. We want you, Lord. We're thirsty. Church, let's stand together. Respond to him as you will.